And just like that, we've reached the seventh episode on the Newsletter Nerd Show. I am Aksha Chandra Mauli, and this is a show that celebrates independent newsletter creators from across the globe. Thank you so much to all of you for the support you've been showing me and the show so far. I'm incredibly grateful to all of you. And coming to today's episode, you are going to be meeting Kushan Shah, who runs the Marketing Mind Meld newsletter. I think it was Jason Bradwell who said uh, it is impossible to not feel smart after reading Kushan's newsletter. And I think that pretty much sums up everything, right? I don't think I have to add anything else. But just to give you a brief, this is a newsletter that talks about mental framework, psychology, and tries to understand why human beings behave the way we do. With that said, let's dive into the conversation. If you can be a part of any fictional family, which family do you think you want to be a part of? Oh my god, there's so many fun answers to this question. I think I would probably say um, the Weasleys, and only mm-hmm. because uh, the Weasleys from Harry Potter. Only because I think it would imply that I was also magic. Um, so I think that would be the easiest way for me to get magical abilities. But also, I love the fact that they're like a very, very big family. Um, and I, I've only had one sibling, but I think it would be really fun to have uh, six siblings. <laughs> uh, so mm-hmm. I think if I was like Ron's twin, uh-huh. similar to Fred and George, it would be fun. But um, if not, then definitely older. Uh, I feel like if Ron had a younger brother, he would bully the holidays younger brother. And I, I don't want to put myself in that position. <laughs> right, that's a brilliant trick, Kushan. And with that, we've kick-started today's episode on the Newsletter Nerd Show. Thank you so much for joining me today on the show. Starting the show by busting a few myths, right? So what is the number one myth that you've come across regarding marketing or psychology? I don't know if I I would say like number one, but I think a common myth that I come across is that uh, a lot of a a lot of uh, brands and a lot of companies, uh, they kind of pull, they they have a lot of tricks that go into their sleeve when it comes to uh, marketing. And uh, one thing that really opened my mind was uh, when I learned about the study of behavioral economics, realizing that um, 50% of what you see companies putting on uh, their websites is um, really kind of exaggerated information. Uh, social proof is really, really a powerful vehicle in marketing. Um, salience is a really powerful vehicle in marketing. Uh, the idea of, um, what was I going to say? Uh, it, the idea of uh, loss aversion, uh, the idea of urgency is is really important in marketing and so i think that really the myth is that um a lot of our decisions we make are rational that we think very very heavily about why we make certain purchases and that at our core we are very very irrational human beings and uh if you think about a lot of the times that you made the purchases you make um it really does defy common logic. Um, if you ever go to a grocery store and buy a new beer for the first time, you might tell yourself a story about, oh, like, I uh, I think it's really interesting. I think it's really healthy. But in reality, it's probably because a friend told you about it or you saw something on, like, the cover of the beer that's really designer. So, um, so yeah, really, really, that is kind of the uh, thing I've come across that really fascinates me is how, how much we overestimate um, the thought that goes into our decisions uh, because we are all frankly very very irrational people <laughs> absolutely i mean how else would you 
explain buying 20 outfits for your dog. Exactly, exactly. And I think the other the other thing I always come across is the idea of uh, terms of service, right? Um, like, companies spend so much time writing like terms of service for this app and that app. And then what do we end up doing? We like are onboarding an app and then we spend maybe like three seconds looking at the terms of service and then uh, and then we complain about like privacy. And uh, I think it's valid to complain about privacy for sure. But um, you know, technically, <laughs> technically, we could have spent more time reading all that stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. And now let's also talk about your fascination with marketing and psychology and behavioral economics, yeah. like you've mentioned, Kishan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so it, it really started when I had just joined my current company and, and about three weeks in, we did a workshop with this organization called Irrational Labs. And uh, irrational Labs, um, really the myth I was telling you about earlier about human irrationality, they really embrace this and they actually teach um, teach people what like common irrational patterns are within human beings. Um, and I think it was a, it's a really fascinating uh, topic because if you think about if you think about random things that uh, in marketing or in product or in sales, you want people to do, um, and, and let's just use an example is you want people to open up a envelope, right? Um, you want people to open a mailer. The, uh, you might think that, oh, if I just like make the design of, um, it, you know, if I just like write really, really good copy on this mailer or I write, uh, really, really, um, you put a really big logo on it. That's going to be enough to make people want to read it and like purchase or donate or whatever, whatever you want them to do. Right. Um, but when you think about like the average person and you actually map out, uh, what happens when they go from their mailbox to their kitchen table, there's so many little things that go in the way of that. Right. You could, uh, get the envelope from the mailbox uh, and then you could go into the uh, envelope and just start like shuffling through envelopes and then uh, throw them all away at once just see if there's nothing important so there's another drop so you have all of these little points of potential friction that you have to address um, and so I think that is really fascinating because I think it's something that uh, a lot of people look at marketing as um, as just a kind of amalgamation of really, really good copy and really, really good messaging, which is important. But uh, I think there's this other element to marketing, which is that you have you have to think about the average person and how much of a uh, you know occasionally limited attention span they have, um, how much real estate you really have in their mind, how many other things they're doing as they come across your marketing. And I think that is really what um, really what we have to adapt to as marketers, not just having really good copy and having really good messaging and having a really powerful product. All of that is certainly important, but really catering to um, the patterns and routines and mental real estate of the average person, right? Um, and, and I think that that part is a little bit harder. Um, I do think there's like extremes to it. I, I think there are companies that uh, exploit it. And, and of course there is like the social dilemma aspect of, you know, should Facebook and Google and all these companies be like, uh, I think they actually have a very, very good understanding of um, behavioral science and they have a really good understanding of psychology. And uh, one perfect example is if um, Facebook doing their voter registration or uh, I think in India they did this blood drive registration. If you look at something like that, 
uh, oh, you have social proof, this many people voted, you have the salience effect, which is this button blow, and like all of this stuff that they study and, and voter registration, uh, you know, and, and blood donor registration, all of that is a good thing. But um, there's also definitely like aspects of Facebook that are, uh, you know, a, a lot more, a lot more addictive. But uh, yeah, because that, that's really my, been my fascination with it. It started with that workshop, um, continued as I was reading more about it. But it really is. Um, it really is embedded into uh, what I philosophically think. Um, what more marketers should be aware of is uh, that we are very, very busy human beings. We're getting like even busier, and we're getting so, we're getting distracted so much more. Um, so how how do we work around that distraction to, you know, to not have basically marketing hit a blank wall? Mm, that's fantastic. And where would you say is a good place for beginners to start if they want to pick up on behavioral science? Yeah, it's a fantastic uh, question. So I would definitely say um, the Rational Labs, the, what I mentioned, if you Google them, they have a really good blog. Um, but some books that I would definitely mention uh, that are really good at covering uh, some of this information, um, Persuasion by, uh, or sorry, Influence by Robert um, Cialdini. He's a uh, behavioral scientist. Um, he has, uh, his, his book is kind of the foundation for a lot of studies on behavioral science. Um, Biology by Martin Lindstrom um, is a great book. Predictably Irrational by um, Dan Ariely is a really, really good book. And then um, Alchemy by um, Roy Sutherland is, is another recently good one that uh, I've gotten. But yeah, really even uh, outside of kind of these books and that blog, um, Google searching, uh, just behavioral economics and cognitive biases, and even just understanding the foundational ones is really helpful. Um, but then also kind of uh, trying to um, trying to spot them in the wild, right? Uh, so if you go on a website and just spot a landing page, uh, like a lot of what I've kind of consumed about this stuff, um, the books give you the theory, right? They give you like the definitions and all of that stuff. But really to start um, understanding it in practice, you just have to look at websites and look at landing pages and um, you know look at it over time. And the crazy part is that even after reading and learning all of this, I feel like I'm still, uh, <laughs> I still get hooked. Uh, like I still have my impulse purchases. <laughs> so I don't even think knowing this can really protect you from any of that. Mm -hmm. Love that, love that. And now let's start talking about yeah. your newsletter, Kushan. Yeah. Tell us about the story of your newsletter and when did you decide to launch that? Yeah, a fantastic question. Um, so yeah, I, uh, last summer, and it was around the predict or uh, sorry, the Irrational Labs uh, workshop. I had taken that workshop and I, um, for a while, was not um, had taken a little bit of a break from writing. I think I, I just transitioned into marketing, uh, and I was kind of like in a weird place where I was like, you know. I, um, I'd been writing about careers for a while when I first graduated college um, and then jumped into product, uh, wrote a little bit about product, but I think there is this imposter syndrome when I was like, oh, I need to wait until I have like a two, three years in product before I start writing about it. And I honestly had the same with marketing when I first uh, hit marketing where I was like, oh, um, I, I need to be like in marketing for at least this long before I start writing about it, pretending I know something. Um, and so with this curiosity, though, I just kept uh, reading more. A lot of the books that I just mentioned, uh, I was reading those. 
And it was it was really um, a course that that start, uh, sparked my curiosity around writing. Um, it was a course I took on a Coursera. Um, it was a science of neuromarketing course uh, taught by a professor at the University of Copenhagen. And I remember after that course, I was just sitting there so mind blown at neuromarketing. And I uh, did a Twitter thread. I was just like, hey, here are some things I learned. And that Twitter thread ended up getting a lot of responses. And I remember I just put at the end, um, you know, uh, would anyone want to like read more if I shared more? And, and everyone was like pretty emphatically sure. And I, uh, it was kind of a perfect storm. So I, I had that going where I was, uh, it was the beginning, number one, it was around March. Uh, so it was the beginning of the pandemic uh, and nothing, nothing else was happening, right? Uh, mm-hmm. You know, like we were all, we were all sitting out. It was the beginning of pandemic. I had just finished this course and uh, there was like definitely a desire for me to get back into writing after having written for two, three years pretty regularly and then just kind of stopped as I was, exploring career transitions and like didn't feel like I was an expert on anything right and um and and the first one I wrote was uh really after I I read biology Martin Lindstrom's book um where I could not put that down and I was like okay I feel like there is enough in this book that the world doesn't know about um and I um I actually before I even launched the name I got in a Substack um, domain back in February, and um, I remember I told my friend Taylor, I was like, "Hey, uh, <laughs> it was like, I think it was like um, Kushan that Substack." I was like, "Hey, like, uh, I'm I'm parking this domain for accountability because I'm gonna like write on it someday." Um, and <laughs> uh, and I what what I found with this topic of marketing and psychology and human behavior was number one, a lot of the uh, work that had been done on it was in research papers, in white papers, a lot of it not like necessarily um, necessarily translated for the average person or the average audience, even irrational labs, right? It was um, it was really fascinating, but it was targeted towards like marketers and product managers and designers um, and, and people who uh, kind of were in, in this more professional field. Uh, so, so I found something I was really, really interested in. Um, I had all the time in the world because there was a global pandemic that had shut down the city of San Francisco. Um, and, and I feel like I had gotten a little bit of a interest from an audience just from that Twitter thread. Um, and so that was kind of when I first started it. And I remember the first, uh, when I first started the backlog, it was literally just chapters of Martin Lindstrom's book. Um, I was like, okay, I'm going to talk about things like somatic markers. And I'm going to talk about religion as marketing. And I'm going to talk about mirror neurons and all of that. Um, and, and then I kind of like realized very slowly, so the very first um, issue I launched was about none of that. It was right around when um, George Floyd, uh, the um, George Floyd protests were happening in um, the country. That, that was like right around when I was preparing to launch this newsletter. Um, and I, I was just only thinking about brands and how brands were um, confronting uh, racism internally and how brands were kind of, um, you know, psychologically trying to uh, separate themselves from racism. And so that was actually what I wrote to launch my newsletter. Um, and that was something that really kind of got it off the ground. And um, and then I kind of realized that 
I can just keep talking about this. Um, there, there was a, a lot of like other really, really great people writing about it. So that's when I started writing, uh, got back into my backlog, started about some Martin Lindstrom's work. And then it really got into more current events. I think for me, um, it was much less interesting to take from his book that was written like 10, 15 years ago and just regurgitate chapters versus looking at things that were going on in the world. Um, you have boycotts going on in the world. You have uh, people who are starting like really sketchy startups on Twitter that uh, are getting a lot of traction. You have uh, things like Quibi where um, it has a lot of hype, but not a lot of um, understanding around why it has hype. Um, and, and so that was really kind of what propelled me to keep writing. Um, and I just started looking at current events and trying to translate them to the lens of behavioral economics. And um, it wasn't actually even until issue 10 that uh, it turned into questions. Um, like all of these, <laughs> if you look at the newsletter today, all of the titles are questions that we have in the world. And, and I realized um, before, actually, if you look at it, it was like, number one, and I listed like three, four things that were part of it. It was a very traditional like newsletter title, but um, yeah, I kind of realized that so many of the things that um, I was writing about were just born out of curiosities, uh, born out of challenging norms that existed in the world. And uh, yeah, so that's that's kind of how it started. And, and now it's at issue 25. Um, I looked at the word count the other day and it's at about 42,000 words, uh, which is oh. really exciting. <laughs> Amazing. Love the story. And I think it was Jason who mentioned that it's impossible to not feel smart after reading your uh, newsletter, right? So that is how I feel every time. Jason is, <laughs> Jason is a great advocate. <laughs> he is. And, and you know what's, <laughs> what's really exciting is that I... Um, a lot of uh, a lot of what I write about is not particularly things that I know really well, and um, for some of them, there was something I read about advertising jingles. What makes an advertising jingle stick? Um, and the title of the Google Doc when I first started the outline was just that question: What makes an advertising jingle stick? Right, and uh, so a lot of it is just. Uh, something I learned at the very, very beginning of the week. So I think that's the uh, fun adventure is, um, you know, I know how it feels when people feel smarter because it is uh, exactly the way I felt <laughs> two days after writing it. <laughs> Absolutely. And if you had to name just one win, your biggest win that came as a result of running this newsletter, what would you say that is, Kushan? That's a great question. Um, I would definitely say, I, yeah, the amount of people I've met on Twitter and kind of like uh, connected to intrinsically just by the value of writing has been really, really exciting. Um, I think for me, it is, um, I do a lot of other writing specific to um, career and jobs and things like that. But for this one, it's really been community and uh, the amount of random people that I've uh, connected with that I've, that I've read and also the amount of um, having it be like cited in I, I've had it cited in research papers I've had it cited in other people's blogs and all of that is also really exciting to me um, even like to know people read it is obviously exciting in the first place but to know people read it and then take it and do something else with it is, is kind of another level of uh, excitement for me. Mm-hmm. Absolutely love that. I think that is also how we met. Shamsh was the person who introduced you to me and she said you have to have him on your show. So I think that is how I can know you yeah. as well. 
<laughs> yeah, and um, and she's she's like a perfect example of someone who I couldn't imagine now not knowing, <laughs> not knowing her, not having her in my life. But I I think I actually met her because um, uh, I had found it was right around the time I'd written my piece about mirror neurons. She was writing about like uh, dark psychology, and I I literally messaged her and was like, hey. Um, you were writing about something I'm really excited about, and she—I I sent her my piece, and I—I uh, landed I her piece in my newsletter. She cited mine in hers, and, and then we kind of like, uh, yeah, that could be the start of a fun friendship. Um, now she's like, big liberty, so <laughs> I can—I can say I knew her when. <laughs> Absolutely. And uh, this will be my last bit one question for the first segment, Kusan. Do you have a kind of fear that you would probably have sure. when it comes to your newsletter? It could be anything that you don't want your newsletter to turn into, or it could be anything along the lines of that. Yeah, one one fear about my newsletter. I think uh, this is very much a. Um, <laughs> I remember I was reading an article about um, the uh, INFP, the Myers Briggs type. The IMFP definition of hell is you standing on a stage and saying things out loud and everyone telling you how boring you are. Uh, so <laughs> I, think, I think my worst fear would be some version of that, uh, or, you know, like someone, someone I really admire uh, tweeting about how like this is silly and <laughs> terrible, terribly written. Um, but yeah. And, and then I think the other worst fear is really just getting things wrong. Um, I, uh, I, I do recognize that there is an imperfection when you write about things that you're not, you know, I'm not a PhD. I'm not a, um, I'm not someone who studies uh, a lot of this for a living. Um, I'm kind of like an average person who likes reading a lot and likes writing about it. Um, and, and so I think that there is also, there is also this uh, fear though, if a research scientist comes out and says, hey, uh, this is the thesis this person came out with and it's like flat out wrong. I would, I would, um, none of those things so far have happened, but uh, mm -hmm. You know, if I, if I was stretching the depths of my <laughs> worst case scenarios, uh, those two would probably be. Mm -hmm. That sounds bad enough. I don't think it'll ever happen to you as well, Kusan. I've read your stuff and I can tell you it's incredible. So, yeah, there you have it. Thank you. <laughs> Moving on to the final question of this segment, Kusan. This is also a question I'd like to ask all of my guests, which is, if there's something that you would consider sure. a newsletter sin, something that people should never be doing when running a newsletter, what do you think that would be? Oh my God, I think I think for me it is um in in uh, like I so I'll caveat that I think in most cases newsletter sins are more personal than anything else because I know there's a ton of different types of readers, right? So some people I'm sure would love this stuff, but um I would say some level of like plagiarism, um just you know uh not not necessarily putting um and I know sometimes I've been like. Uh, very wary of this myself where it's like oh am I like just actually adding something new or just regurgitating ideas but um, I know a lot of people love to aggregate things and uh, I think aggregation is totally cool um, putting your own spin on it putting things into your own words why they're meaningful to you but um, I think a lot of times uh, I've seen a couple of newsletters people will just will put in links and then the paragraph below will just be like a paragraph of um Ex exactly what the person wrote in the article and then, you know, at that point it's just kind of like why um and 
And I think the other one is um, overlinking. I think there is a healthy amount of, I think there's a healthy amount of linking you can do in your newsletter. And there's some that I love where um, Nicole Tabak, who writes a newsletter and she's in, uh, she's in marketing Twitter. I always love hers because uh, she uses links uh, for things that she buys and things that she uses. And, and, and she really kind of makes you feel like she has a investment in, in the product. And, and I think that is an area where I really appreciate linking. I think it is um, an art. But there are some other uh, people I see who just like link for the sake of linking. And it's like, oh, here are all the resources I used. And like half of them are affiliate links. And you're just like, what do I click on? And you know, like, <laughs> how much money are you getting from me? Mm. And, and so that, I think that is that is really annoying. But, um, you know, again, I think that uh, there's a balance where some people I know do it do it really, really well. And Nicole is an example of someone who uh, I <laughs> I always say she's like a... Uh, she, she like links things in a way that makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. I love Nicole's newsletter as well, especially the latest one where yeah. she says it's okay to take a break. And I love that. So, yes. Yeah, and... I love how you read all the same newsletters. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. And with that, we're moving on to the second segment on the show, Kushan. And this is called The Reading Room. And in this segment, you're going to be picking any favorite edition of your own newsletter and you're going to be reading it out for us. So I thought it'd be fun to read the one about uh, ASMR. Um, and, uh, for, I guess, your audience who's unfamiliar with ASMR, um, ASMR, it stands for Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. Um, ASMR is uh, all about like sounds, like crunching leaves and bottles rolling on the table that just give you like jitters. Um, mm-hmm. And so I wrote about ASMR, I wrote about ASMR and how it's actually valuable for branding. Um, and it was some of the f- most fun I've had writing. Uh, so I think <laughs> I think that is one I'll read. For audience, I thought I'd read it in a like softer voice. <laughs> go for it, go for it, Kushan. ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> Three, two, one. There are certain sounds in the world that are universally soothing. The thunder of a waterfall, the crashing of waves, the crackling of a fire. We don't second guess nature sounds or wonder why our favorite meditation apps play them in the background of a nation. We've grown accustomed to associating nature with joy and relaxation. But scientists have learned something interesting about the brain in the past decade. The joy and relaxation we get from nature can also be induced by some odd sounds. Whispers, taps on a glass, a bottle rolling on a table, pouring beer, turning the pages of a book, cutting soap, lips smacking while kissing. Think of the sounds above. You might not even realize that quiet tapping sounds make you zone out or whispers make you intentionally calm. This is all part of the magic ASMR. ASMR is the name of sensation or response characterized by a static-like tingling sensation that's on the scalp and moves down the back of the neck and upper spine. As more people realize the power of ASMR-inducing stimuli, more people have tried to engineer it. The journey has led ASMR to grow from an esoteric scientific concept into a bit of an internet phenomenon. A quick search on YouTube will give you hundreds of videos. It doesn't matter what type of activity. Anything from stepping on a leaf to crinkling a candy wrapper can get heavy viewership. Based on this alone, it's clear that ASMR has a high ceiling for engagement, but is it naturally attractive for brands? Let's face it. It's not something you can exactly pitch confidently in a corporate boardroom. On paper, it's an absurd alien and creepy concept. Do brands really want to shell out hundreds of dollars for someone to whisper seductively to their customers in the low room? Invest in a strategy, someone to crack chips or pop bubble wrap into a microphone. 
is a question I've been sitting with ever since I wrote exploring the ASMR content on the platform. The more I went down the rabbit hole, the more I became fascinated by the possibilities. But I still had questions. Why is ASMR useful? What does it tell us about brains? What are brands missing out on? Let's explore the world of ASMR marketing. The acronym doesn't tell us much. Its corner even admitted that its creation stems from lending legitimacy to the practice. A quick search for ASMR on YouTube led me to a video from an artist who creates regular content around ASMR triggers. For a few minutes, she takes her long nails and just taps melodically on a Mario Kart for another, she takes a large carpet square and new nails to run her fingers across, scratching slowly and repeatedly. She ends the piece by seductively removing the foil from a jar of Nutella slow enough to accentuate every crinkle. And on top of this, she's talking stories about her childhood, affirmations, ramblings about Nutella, all through one long extended Love that, Kusan. I, I will say when I wrote this article, one of the um, one of the top requests I got when I wrote this article was uh, to read it um, in <laughs> in a whisper voice, uh, mm-hmm. and I never did it. So this is um, for everyone who requested it. Uh, when was this written? <laughs> Seven months ago, back in the early December. For everyone who requested it, this is this is your chance. You have to listen to this podcast. <laughs> Beautiful. Well done. And that's an item ticked off everybody's bucket list. So with that, we are moving on to the final segment For of sure. the show, uh, Kushan. And this is called the newsletter, Have You Ever? The rules are simple. I ask you a question and you answer with a yes or no. Cool. I love the concept of this already. <laughs> so are you ready to play the newsletter, Have You Ever, Kushan? Let's go. Let's go. I'm ready. Awesome. So this is your first question, Kushan. Have you ever had any kind of personal bias creep into the work? A personal bias uh, into the work that I do, um, I would say yes. Um, And I think some of it, uh, I'll give one example, is I think the piece on Twitter's fleets. Um, I was really, really excited about it. And so I think that I basically like, Wrote my way into the pieces that fleets are gonna be really cool when I could easily just like dismiss them. So I ended up and I really wanted it to do well. So I was like, okay, I need to uh, and ecologically everyone to believe in this thing. <laughs> All right, moving on to the next question of Have you ever, Kushan? <laughs> have you ever considered switching to a different medium, say like a podcast or like a vlog, maybe? Yeah, um, I have not uh, considered a podcast. I think for me, it's largely that um, I I don't listen to a whole lot of podcasts. Uh, so I feel like I almost don't know. I, I read a lot of newsletters. So I know over time what makes a newsletter. I know um, how to enjoy one. But um, I, I don't listen to enough podcasts to know uh, <laughs> what makes a good and bad podcast, right? Um, so, so that hasn't been a huge interest of mine. Um, I have been told in the past that I have a uh, podcast voice potentially. Um, so mm-hmm. maybe, maybe uh, I could do an ASMR, ASMR podcast. And then, <laughs> no, and, and then in terms of other mediums, though, um, one interesting one that I've tried 
it has been TikTok. Um, and I've been, uh, I started a TikTok called Dark Marketing. Um, mm-hmm. I don't maintain it very well, but um, it is like an interesting way to explain some of these concepts. I research a lot. A lot of it doesn't get into the newsletter, but I realize there's still an audience for it. So um, I've been experimenting with how do I explain complex scientific concepts in like less than 60 seconds with music? And uh, that, that's a lot of fun on TikTok. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Moving on to the next question, Prashant. Have you ever felt like your newsletter is an escape from the world, from everything else that's happening around you? Yeah, and <laughs> I think in some ways, um, writing in general, uh, you in order to even just sit down and write, you have to ignore part of what's going on in the world around you. Um, and, and you will realize that when uh, it is... Um, <laughs> you start writing and you like look up and it's six hours later and you're like, oh crap, <laughs> I missed everything. So for me, like the escapist part is really um, is really the research. When uh, it, it recently I got into, um, I wrote a piece about conspiracy theories and mm-hmm. that was just like an entire uh, weekend of like watching UFO documentaries. And it was really, uh, the jingles one was also really fun. It was like kind of two days of just listening to advertising jingles from the 60s. Um, and inside say like escapist in that sense where uh, you're so committed and so uh, enveloped in this research that um, yeah that, that you get to kind of pause in the world for a little bit um, but I did also mention you know I, I write a lot of my pieces about current events so I think it is um, impossible to escape everything uh, the next one I'm writing is about clubhouse which is oh uh, yay every, every, it's about everywhere it's everywhere right now so mm-hmm. I think uh, it's, it's hard to see that as an escape. Mm-hmm. Okay, got that. And this is a very last question on this segment, Kushan. Are you ready for your final question? Yes, I am. Have you ever had to miss something very important simply because you had to send out a newsletter that day? Oh my God. Um, <laughs> this is a fun question. Uh, I would say... I'm, I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at the dates of when I send a lot of my newsletters. Um, I I would definitely say the uh, n- not so much that day, but there are some weekends where I was writing a newsletter where I missed out on uh, some important things. I think um, the the Fourth of July, I was like so busy writing about Quibi that I just like. <laughs> Like it, 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 that's a pathetic story in retrospect. Everyone's like having fun Fourth of July. <laughs> yeah, I need to write. I need to research about Quibi. Um, so, so I remember that one uh, pretty well. I think um, Halloween uh, also was writing about advertising. I think this year you miss out on less stuff because um, it's like COVID, so it's, mm-hmm. no one's really doing anything anyway. But um, you know, I, I've been trying to be more and more liberal about separating out my newsletter when I need to do other things. Um, so. My birthday week, um, I didn't end up opening my laptop at all. Um, I wrote the, there's a piece I wrote about pollination and branding from uh, mm-hmm. Rory Sutherland's book. And I just wrote it um, on the plane, uh, flying back from Boston because I, I, uh, it was my birthday and then my mom's birthday two days later. And I, I was just like, you know, I, uh, <laughs> I need to be present for all of this. I can't be writing it. So, so um, yeah, it was, luckily the plane was a good uh <laughs> good way to finish reading the book right about it mm-hmm. wonderful wonderful and with that we've come to the end of this episode kushan yeah it's, it's a lot of fun i love the format of this thank you so much thank you.